Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for my church family. Lord, I love Lakeside. So thankful that you, many years ago, put me in contact with Pastor Steve and you worked it out so that our family would become a part of this family. I thank you for the love and care that we feel and I thank you, Lord, that we have a place to call home. Pray now for us as a family as we prepare to hear the word taught from our brother Mike. I pray that you'd empower him, give him clarity and wisdom and the power of your spirit to speak the truth in love. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give us ears to hear. And I pray for Pastor Steve as he preaches in the morning service. And I pray for me as I preach tonight, Lord. I just ask that you would help us to be accurate and clear and that your people would be fed the word of truth. And I Love you, Lord. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. As Joe said, I'm going to teach first because I'm not sure time-wise where I'm going to fall. And uh, hopefully we will have time at the end to at least meet and share some prayer concerns. For those of you who I haven't talked to yet this morning, do you remember the last time I taught back in September what we were talking about, what book we were in? Anybody remember? It was the Old Testament. Malachi. Somebody said it. Malachi. All right. I'm impressed. Somebody remembered. All right. Turn in your Bibles to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. We're going to be there again for at least a few weeks. Now, you remembered which book it was, but do you have any idea what the message of that lesson was? (laughs) Probably not. There you go, Doug. Must have took notes. I'm impressed. We were. We were talking about Malachi came on the scene and the people and the priest and the people had grown a little apathetic in their worship and in their spiritual life. If you remember, we saw that the sacrifices that they were bringing they were bringing lame and sick sacrifices Malachi chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning and there was a lack of awe and respect in other words there was no fear of the Lord among the people or their priests we talked about how that lack of reverence manifested itself in their day And how it manifests itself today. And how we should guard ourselves from slipping and letting our faith grow cold. Today we're going to pick up in chapter 2. And we're going to see today that the root of their problem, in many ways, what they were experiencing boils down to an unfaithful ministry of the Word. We will see this morning two examples of polar opposites ministries of the word we're going to see an unfaithful ministry of the word and we're going to see what a faithful ministry of the word looks like both models are intertwined in the first nine verses of chapter two of malachi so let me read that to you i'm reading out of the esv chapter two verse one and malachi says speaking the lord speaking through malachi and he says and now O priest this command is for you If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send this curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings, 
Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So as we begin, we notice immediately that these words are directly addressed to who? To the priests. So we have to ask the question, is this relevant to us today? Are there still priests? Who are the priests today? (laughs) Depending on what church you go to, how you might interpret that. We are aware that the Catholic Church, among others, still have priests. There are men they call priests. Why don't we call our pastors priests? We are all priests. These questions really are not that hard to answer. There is never in the New Testament any reference to pastor, elders, teachers ever being called priests. And the reason is very simple. The priesthood ended. There's no official priesthood in the church today because Jesus Christ became the only and permanent priest, the only mediator between God and man. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22 says, This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, talking about Jesus, holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Flip over a couple of chapters to chapter 9 of Hebrews. Look at verse 11. Hebrews 9.11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. We see from these verses that... The official office of priesthood has been abolished. There is no need for a priest anymore. There's only one mediator between God and man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. In contrast, in the New Testament, in places like 1 Peter 2.9, some of you have already referred to it, we are called priests. A chosen people, a royal priesthood. 
In Romans 12, Paul says we do not have to go to a priest to offer sacrifices. He says we ourselves are to present ourselves a living sacrifice. There is no need for the official office of priesthood today. So the question then becomes, is this passage irrelevant to us today? Was this only talking to the culture of their day? And is it no longer relevant to us? I don't think so. And the reason I say that is because making sacrifices was not the priest's only function. Besides sacrificing, what other duties did the priest perform that are still relevant? Teaching. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. Verse 7 of chapter 2, Malachi says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord. Here we read that it says a priest were to guard knowledge, men should seek instruction from him, because he's the messenger of the Lord. So they were teachers. And this part of their ministry continues in the New Testament, not with priests, but through pastors and teachers, men gifted for that reason. This part of their ministry is still very relevant to us today, and their failure to live up to their responsibility to accurately lead as teachers and more examples is very relevant to us today. But then you might say, but we're not all pastors and teachers. Is it relevant to us? That might be partially true. But I think it's still important. There are many lay people, especially I know within this class right here, we have those who lead Bible studies. We have those involved in prison ministries. We have people that lead home fellowship groups. We have people that minister one-on-one as discipleship. We have families, friends that we minister to. So in this way, you're directly impacted by these verses and all of us indirectly because a correct understanding of what a faithful ministry of the Word looks like is important to all of us. We need to be praying for our spiritual leaders. If they go astray, we should help hold them accountable. When the flock understands and responds to a faithful ministry of the Word, it encourages the pastor. Another reason that we see this is relevant to us today is because the same failures that they experienced are still happening today. And we need to recognize it. And we're going to see that more clearly as we get into our text. So with that said, I hope you see that this passage, even though it was directly addressing the priest, it's still important to us. Now, I broke this passage down for teaching purposes into two categories. One is the attributes of a unfaithful ministry of the word and attributes of a faithful ministry of the word. Malachi doesn't come right out and list them in an order. They're intertwined within these first nine verses, so we're going to have to pull them out. So let's begin with the attributes of a unfaithful ministry of the word. And I found five attributes of an unfaithful ministry of the word. The first one comes in the very first words of verse 2. Verse 2 begins by saying, If you will not listen. Have you ever talked to someone you know, you know they hear you, but they're not listening? <laughs> We've all done that, especially with our kids. I can hear it. I made myself saying it to my kids. You're not listening to me. Now, more than just verbally hearing is implied in that, isn't it? 
There's a obeying, implementing, not getting the message part of that. They're not listening. It's not because they can't physically hear you, but they don't want to hear what you're saying. They don't want to obey what you're saying. Remember who God is talking to. God is talking to the priest, the teachers of the day, and says to them, they are not listening to Him, to God. He means they're not obeying. They are not being faithful. They are not giving Him respect and honor. The question went through my mind, is that happening today? That's a scary thought, isn't it? That there's pastors and teachers in the pulpit today that are not listening to God. I am fearful that there are preachers today heralding a message, lecturing on a text, leading discussions, counseling many people, and yet they themselves are not listening to God. That's a fearful thing, isn't it? They are not receiving His message personally and therefore are not proclaiming His words accurately. And I not only fear this might be happening, unfortunately, I can say it with confidence. How can I do that? How do we know that there are pastors and teachers today that are not listening to God? Because their message doesn't line up with Scripture. Can you be listening to God and then proclaiming a message that's different from this? Can't do it. When the Word of God clearly says homosexuality is a sin and yet we hear preachers in the church today teaching that it's not only okay, but they're now permitting those involved in this sin to not only be welcomed into church membership, but to be ordained as pastors and teachers. Are they listening to God? I don't think so. There are preachers teaching that it's God's desire that you be healed of all illness, that if you would only have faith, you'll never be sick, that you will be blessed financially beyond your wildest dreams. If you just send me some money and I'll send you this prayer cloth or this holy water. Teaching like this is so contrary to Scripture, it makes it obvious to me that many teachers today are not listening to God. There are many preachers today teaching psychology from the pulpit, mixed in with just a little bit of Scripture to make it palatable. They are listening to worldly influences instead of God. I could go on, but I think you get the point, don't you? You cannot be a faithful minister of the Word if you are not listening to God. The second failure I see is still in verse 2. Let me read verse 2 again. If you will not listen... If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. What's the second failure? What are they not doing? They're not giving God honor. Or you could say it this way, they are not glorifying God. They're not concerned with glorifying God. We saw this, you probably don't remember, but we saw this last time when we were looking at chapter 1, verse 6. God rebuked them for not honoring Him, for giving Him the reverence that He was due. If a leader has no heart for God's honor, no concern for God's glory, his ministry is going to be ineffective. It will be lifeless, void of spiritual impact. The people under him will not be transformed. And I think it's important to note that this is not just a mere matter of theology. It is not just that the teacher doesn't teach about giving honor or glory to God, but this is a personal matter of the pastor-teacher's heart. It's more than the words he says. It's about his heart. 
Is it his passion in ministry to glorify God? Or is he concerned about his professional career, his advancement opportunities, his approval or the praise of his people, whatever it may be, his desire to sell more books? We can filter this down all the way to our own hearts too. Are our ministry motives pure? Nothing could be more important. If you're in the choir, do you get jealous when someone else gets the solo? I would be happy. (laughs) Does it bother you if the ministry you are involved with doesn't seem to be mentioned as much as others? What are the motives of your heart? God strongly desires that everything we do, the motive of our heart is to please and glorify Him. And any ministry of the Word that does not hold Him up in the highest honor and glory fails miserably. As I was thinking about this, the word pragmatism came to mind. Many ministries today operate on the theology of pragmatism. Do you know what that means? Do you know what a pragmatist is? It means you base your truth on what works. If you are a pragmatist, then the validity of what you do is determined by whether or not it works. Many in ministry today use that philosophy. If playing rock music and having a ten-minute sermon work, then that's my truth. If avoiding preaching on hell and judgment helps fill the pews, then that's what we'll do. If it works, if it produces results, then it must be truth. It must be the right thing to do. What's the problem with that? The problem with that is it doesn't matter what we do if the motive isn't to please God, if our aim is not to glorify Him. 2 Corinthians 5 9 says it, that our aim and desire should be to always please the Lord. Nothing else matters. An unfaithful ministry of the Word involves leaders that do not listen to God and who do not honor Him. Now, the next few verses in Malachi move on to the consequence of these failures. But I want to jump down to verse 8 and 9 and see some more failures that Malachi lists. And we'll come back to these verses in a minute. Verse 8 tells us a third failure. But you have turned aside from the way. And he goes on. But let's stop there. You have turned aside from the way. That's the third failure. Turning aside. This may mean personally that they have become disobedient, but it surely means that they have strayed from teaching the truth. It probably includes both. When someone turns away from teaching truth, they usually turn away from being obedient to the truth. I think they both are encompassed in the statement that they have turned away. If you examine the personal lives of many of the preachers and teachers of our culture today, we would classify as having gone astray and not listening to God who are preaching a different gospel, I think you would find that many of these cases, their personal lives would reflect the same turning away. That you would find a prevalence of worldly desires and influences would mark these persons' personal lives. A turning away from God's teaching is usually preceded by or followed by a turning away from personal obedience. Not saying that there's a direct correlation, but in my view, many times there is. I was reminded of 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4, that says, A time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, what will they do? 
gather around them teachers to say what? What their itching ears want to hear. This verse is talking about the people not wanting to follow God's Word and hence they seek out teachers who have turned away to what they want to hear. I sometimes wonder what would happen if there were no teachers who have strayed from the way. Where would these people go? Sadly, that isn't the case today though, is it? There's plenty of places for people to go. It happened in Malachi's day and it's still happening. So, so far we've seen three attributes of an unfaithful ministry of the Word. We've seen a failure to listen to God, which is accompanied by a failure to honor and glorify God, which leads to a turning aside from the ways of God. And a fourth attribute of an unfaithful ministry of the Word is found in verse 9. Verse 9 says, And I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Malachi says one of the main ways you're not keeping my ways is that you show partiality in your instruction. What's this mean? How can you show partiality in your instruction? I think it means the priests were treating the Word the same way they were treating their sacrifices. Do you remember what we saw in chapter 1? The priests were allowing people to bring their sick and inferior sacrifices. They knew what God had commanded, but they compromised in order to bring in more money. There's a verse in Malachi 3.11 that talks about the prophets practicing divination for money, the rulers taking bribes, and the preacher or the teachers, priests teaching for a price. That's kind of the attitude that they had. When the desire for God's glory leaves, when there's no honor or fear of the Lord, the preacher will find satisfaction elsewhere. And many times that comes by using the Word of God for gain, for notoriety. I think it's easy enough to see how that's still relevant today. The most obvious example is turning on your TV on Sunday morning and flipping the channels and and listening to some of the TV evangelists. They're not all bad, but have you ever actually done that and listened to the messages of some of those on there? It's really scary. It's almost unbelievable, the hypocrisy involved. But there's other examples of showing partiality. Does the wealthy businessman who goes to a certain church get more attention than the poor man? Which one's more beneficial? Which one are you going to try to teach? You're not going to rebuke that businessman because he might leave and take his money with him. It's one of the reasons pastors here at Lakeside make it a point that they aren't involved with the offering. They never see who gives. That's a good philosophy. James chapter 2 talks a lot about this. All throughout the Bible, Scripture says that God shows no partiality. The priests in Malachi's day were showing partiality in their teaching. They were picking and choosing based on the hearers in attendance. And I'm afraid that that goes on today. I was looked up some synonyms of partiality and one of the words was showing favoritism. Many preachers and teachers in the church today show favoritism to some parts of God's Word over another. Therefore, they teach on things like love and forgiveness and heaven, topics like these, neglecting talking about holiness, righteousness, judgment, hell. Showing partiality in how and what one teaches is another element we find in an unfaithful ministry of the Word. 
And what's the result of all of these elements that Malachi exposes of an unfaithful ministry of the Word? It's found in verse 8. Go back to verse 8 again. You've turned aside from the way and you have caused many to stumble. That's the fifth attribute of an unfaithful ministry of the Word. The sad reality is that an unfaithful ministry of the Word causes many people to stumble. It's one of the truths that really causes me to feel the weight of being a teacher and counselor of the Word, the responsibility that comes with it. I'm always aware of the admonition in James chapter 3, which says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Why? Because you shall receive a stricter judgment. James wasn't saying this to discourage those called to be pastors and teachers. He just wants them to take the job seriously, knowing the weight and the responsibility that comes with it. And sadly today, there are men and women in the pulpit, ministries of the Word that are not listening to God, whose goal is not to honor God, who have turned away from God's way, especially from teaching the truth, maybe not completely, but at least in many areas they have departed, and many times they're showing partiality in their teaching, catering to a certain congregation or to certain vocal groups. And the result of this is many under their ministry stumble and fall and are not living up to the calling with which they've been called. All of us are probably aware of people who have been victims of this type of ministry. Maybe even some of you have been. I'm thinking about people who have been exposed to preachers and teachers and those in Christian leadership who have displayed hypocrisy, inconsistency, worldliness, partiality, greed, harshness, other ungodly attributes. The effect of that is that many times the victims of this unfaithful ministry of the Word is that they now have erected a great big wall between them and true, authentic Christianity. I have a personal example in my family. I have a half-brother whose wife had an affair with a pastor of a local church in my hometown. I even hate to call this man a pastor because his, his ministry was so void of, of truth. But in effect, he was, his name was on the door. He was a pastor of a local church. And his church will be a textbook example of an unfaithful ministry of the Word. But you can imagine how this affected my half-brother. He has no interest at all in hearing anything about Christianity or going to church. And I have no doubt that it's due to the unfaithful ministry of this particular church and its pastor. And I'm sure that that's not an isolated incident. I'm sure there were probably many who have stumbled because of this unfaithful ministry. And there are many teachers that fall into this category. And we could expose many of them by name if we wanted to. We don't have to look far in our world today to find examples of this type of failure. I know some people even here at Lakeside who grew up in unfaithful ministries of the Word. They were exposed to false teaching and raised their children there. And by God's grace, they came out of that and found faithful ministries like ours here at Lakeside. And yet their children or grandchildren are still trapped in those ministries. Keep praying for them. God is faithful. Keep praying for them. Malachi is proclaiming God's rebuke of this type of unfaithful ministry of the Word in his day, and it's just as much of a rebuke for many today as it was then. I haven't talked about it yet, but I think it's safe to say that this type of failure in any ministry of the Word angers God. 
Intermixed in this passage, there are several threats made by God about how He will respond to these type failures. Go back to verse 2. I want to read verse 2, 3, and 9 to you now. He says, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you. I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. And then in verse 9, he says, And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways. God's going to curse their ministry. It's going to become a plague rather than a blessing. He threatens to rebuke their offspring. says He will spread the dung of their offering on their faces. What a strong statement. I'm not even going to elaborate on that. He will make them despised among the people. Is there any doubt in your mind what God thinks about a ministry of the Word that is unfaithful? He threatens to curse it, make it despised, to spread the dung of the sacrifice on the faces of those in charge of ministries like that. The righteous anger of the Lord is upon these type of unfaithful ministries. So should we be tolerant and sympathetic to these type of unfaithful ministries if they make God that angry? We should have that same type of righteous anger. And I think these statements are here for exactly that reason, to show us the importance of this to God and the importance it should be to us. That's what an unfaithful ministry looks like. So we need to, f- to describe a faithful ministry of the Word. It's, it's here too. God, through the words of Malachi, doesn't just show us what an unfaithful ministry of the Word looks like. He also shows us the attributes of a faithful, successful ministry of the Word. Go back to verse 4 and 5. This tells us the root of all faithful ministry of the Word. Beginning in verse 4, he says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I give them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. So who was Levi? He was a priest. He was the son of Jacob, from which all the priests came. And we're told here that there is a covenant between God and these ministers of the word. There are always at least two parties to a covenant. In this case, God's side and the minister of the Word's side. From God's side of the covenant comes the divine calling and the promise of life and peace. From man's side was the responsibility to fear God, to stand in awe of Him. It took me some time to develop the thinking behind this statement because I could not really find a formal covenant that was made with Levi, but I did find some clues back in Exodus and Numbers I'm not going to read it off for the sake of time, but if you went back to Exodus 32:26, you would find that that was the account of Moses coming down off of the mountain with the Ten Commandments written on the tablets. And what did he find the people doing? Worshiping the golden calf. He threw the tablets to the ground, and then he gives a speech you know, basically displaying his righteous anger and he called for people to come and to, to wipe out some of them that were doing it. And you know who responded? It was the Levites. 
it says the Levites joined with him and were faithful to what he said to do, and hence they were blessed. And then in Numbers 25, something similar happened. Here we find the Levites taking a stand against evil in Numbers 25. The men of Israel were indulging in false worship of the god Baal, which included sexual immorality. God demanded that they be destroyed, and they were. But unbelievably, in broad daylight, right during this, an Israelite named Zimri brought a Midianite woman into his tent. When Phinehas, the Levite priest, saw it, he took a sword and drove it through the both of them and killed them both. And this plague then against them stopped, but not before 24,000 of them were killed. But in Numbers 25, it talks about how God was pleased with Phinehas, the Levite priest who joined with him to defend his honor. That's the covenant that is referenced in Malachi 2. And it's the teacher of the words part of the covenant to fear God, to honor God, to stand in awe of Him. And let's be honest about this. There are many today, both teachers and students, who are playing little church games. They compromise, they disobey, with little thought of it, right in the face of a holy God. We talked about it last time. People became bored with God because they don't really understand who He truly is. There's no fear and awe and reverence when you don't really understand who God is, His nature. What you think about God is the most important thought you will ever have. What you think about God is the most important thought you will ever have. And this is the root of all real success in ministry. It stands in contrast to the unfaithful ministry example in verse 2 where it says, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, and then it's verse 5, it says that it will cause many people to stumble. That's the opposite. The faithful example is where one stood in fear of awe of God and it says that what will happen, it will turn many people from iniquity in verse 6. This covenant leads to another tribute of a faithful ministry of the Word and that is to accurately proclaim and defend the truth. Look at verse 6 and 7. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and the people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The instruction was in their mouths. The word guard brings forth the thought of defending, protecting. A faithful ministry defends the truth. They don't take liberty. They don't stretch it to fit the world's definition. They guard it from error. Why? For they are messengers of the Lord. They are not the originators of the message. They're just messengers. Some preachers today are making themselves more than messengers when they change the message. We do not have the liberty to show partiality to adjust the message, to pick and choose, take it out of context. Preachers, teachers, under-shepherds, all of us are part of the royal priesthood, are messengers of God, and are to guard the message and proclaim it truthfully. And all successful, faithful ministers of the Word will accurately proclaim and defend the truth. 
The third attribute of a faithful ministry of the Word in our text is found again in verse 6, and it's the personal holiness and righteousness of the teacher. It says, He walked with me in peace and uprightness. Walking in peace and uprightness is the opposite of the failure we saw in verse 8 where they have turned aside from the way. The faithful minister of the Word walks with God. He's transparent. His walk matches his talk. He's obedient. He's not perfect. He's still a man, but he's a man of integrity and strives to live out what he teaches. A faithful minister of the Word practices what he preaches. The fourth attribute of a faithful ministry of the Word is really the result of the other three. I inferred it earlier. If a ministry of the Word begins in a correct view of God with the fear of the Lord, with reverential awe, if it proclaims and defends the truth, if its leaders walk uprightly, then the fourth attribute will be that it produces fruit. The end of verse 6 says, He walked with me in peace and brightness, and He turned many from iniquity. The opposite of stumbling. When a ministry is rooted in the glory of God, the Word is grounded in truth, the leaders, teachers walk, match, then the fruit is going to be many lives turning away from sin. Sinners will be saved. Believers will be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. That's the exact opposite of an unfaithful ministry that causes many to stumble. People's lives are changed by the fruitful, faithful ministry of the Word. Not changed by everyone having more self-esteem or more Bible knowledge or any other change that might even be good, but it's a specific change. It turns people away from sin to be more Christ-like. Now, I know this is primarily directed to teachers, but we are all called to be faithful ministers of the Word in some context. We are all called to guard and defend and proclaim the truth. We are all called to walk uprightly. Men, we are priests to our own families. We are all part of God's priesthood. We are all examples to those around us. We're all servants of Christ's church, and we need to honor and fear the Lord. We don't want to play church games. We don't want to go through the motions like they were. This is serious stuff. God wants all of us, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our wills, our thoughts. We want to be faithful ministers of the Word that turn ourselves and others away from iniquity, not cause people to stumble. Will you pray with me? Father, thank You. Thank You for this time together. Thank You for the words that Malachi proclaimed to us as well as to them. May we take it to heart. Father, if we are, if is there anyone here today who has not really experienced the real fear and awe that comes from the contact of knowing, Father, a holy God, may they repent and come to know Christ, the one who delivers us and took that iniquity on our behalf. We pray, Father, that we would become more like Christ. And as we move into the Christmas season, may we see the nativity and the child that came into this world not as just a, just a good story, Father, but may we really experience that in our own lives and may we, it affect the way we live each and every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.